Hi, you're listening to Chronically Chilled. On this special Disability Day edition, you'll be hearing from Ricky Buchanan. Ricky is an independent disability activist, assistive technology innovator, and artist. Ricky is passionate about disability and chronic illness and has recently written a report titled Just Invisible Medical Access Issues for Homebound Bedridden Persons. I had the privilege of speaking to Ricky recently about her report, her own experiences, and what needs to be done to support homebound bedridden people. All right, Ricky, thank you for being part of 3CR's broadcast for International Day of People with Disability. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here. Before we get into the report, which I want to speak to you about, can so for people that aren't familiar with the terms homebound and bedridden, can you kind of describe a little bit about how you define them in the report? Yeah, sure. These don't have actual official definitions because mm. they're words that aren't used super often. Um, so I define homebound as people who uh, mostly are unable to leave their homes. That might be someone who can make it to medical appointments or can make it out just once a week for a short amount of time, something like that. Or it might be people who can't leave their home at all for any reason. Um, And bedridden people are people who mostly lie, need to lie in bed um, all day. Um, But again, it might be you might not be completely bedridden, you might be able to get up to go to the bathroom or you might occasionally be able to sit in a wheelchair or a recliner chair. Um, So people who mostly live life from their home or from their bed. And just a note about terminology, these are the preferred terms, um, terms which people like me who are homebound and bedridden use to describe ourselves. I know that you've all been carefully trained not to say wheelchair bound because wheelchair user is a much better word and um, people are not bound to wheelchairs. Clearly, wheelchairs are a wonderful freeing thing. But when you're homebound or bedridden, that's not a wonderful freeing thing. It means that you're stuck at home mostly or completely or you're stuck in bed mostly or completely. And so even though it makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable, these are the preferred terms. Mm. Um, so can you talk more about the report, so how it came about, and why is this so important to talk about? Well, I'm a person who's been mostly either homebound or bedridden or both for the last 25 years, which is pretty much my entire adult life. And in all of that time, I've had a, a really bad problem with trying to access medical care because pretty much doctors assume that if you can't go to the doctor, then you don't need the service. Mm -hmm. Um, there's some availability for GPs. Some GPs will do home visits under certain circumstances, but trying to get medical care at your home is really, really, really difficult. And in a lot of cases, it's just completely impossible. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't seem to have improved over the time that I've been homebound, um, which is really odd because most areas or many areas around disability have improved a lot. Um, and I've been very frustrated because I felt like the issue wasn't even on the agenda. Mm. A lot of people who are activists didn't even know this was an issue. Um, so they weren't working on it, not because of any, um, ill will, but just because they weren't aware that it was an important thing that no one was working on. Mm. And there's no peak body for people who are homebound and bedridden. There's no, uh, disabled people's organization. There's no group at all who represents us. Wow. And eventually, I just thought, if 
this report, this report, maybe I can write something that will make people pay attention because I felt like people pay more attention when you have, a, you know, an official kind of booking report. Mm. And um, also because that was something that I could do at home in my own time. It took me three months to write the report. Um, but it, that was fine. It didn't matter how long it was going to take me because I didn't announce it till it was finished. Mm. So I could have taken as long as I wanted. Yeah. So this is an era of, of activism that I could I could participate in. I can't go to marches. I can't turn up and have meetings with politicians. I can't join organisations and be present at the meetings or what have you. But I can write reports. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so really the report is just around let's actually put this discussion out there and let's put some awareness out there about kind of issues faced by, you know, people like yourself. Yeah, it was specifically the issues with getting access to medical care because that's a really foundational thing. Mm. If you're somebody who's stuck at home, stuck in bed because you're sick, not being able to access medical care, firstly, makes your life pretty miserable. Mm. You can't get medications that you might need. Mm. It's very hard even to get acute things treated, let alone to get a diagnosis for a complex disorder. Um, And, of course, if you don't have access to medical care, then you don't have the sort of paper trail that you need to get access to something like a disability pension or other Centrelink benefits or even to join the NDIS. So being locked out of the medical system has all these really negative knock-on effects for a person Mm. with a disability. Yeah, and I was thinking about it because we have a system, a medical system, that is so reliant on the individual to kind of coordinate, you know, different appointments and different things that they need to do. Um, but also just I was thinking in the area of advocacy to be able to advocate for yourself or to have other people to advocate for you. And I'd imagine that would probably be really difficult to do um, in a situation like yours. Yeah, it is very difficult because a lot of self-advocacy relies on you being to being able to kind of show up at someone's mm. office and present your case. It's a lot harder to do that on the phone. And also a lot of people who are bedridden or homebound have other impairments that make it hard for them to self-advocate. They might have cognitive impairments, memory impairments, or impairments in communication and language. Mm. Um, and those things also mean make it even more difficult to advocate for yourself on in a situation like on the phone. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty lucky as it goes that I'm not too impaired cognitively and I'm able to do things like this radio interview that a lot of bedridden people just couldn't do at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Is there, I mean, we're going to talk about kind of the gaps and stuff and kind of what needs to be done, but is there anything that actually is working? Um, There are a few things that are improving. Mm. If you're in a situation where you are able to get access to the NDIS, Mm. your planning meeting can now take place at your house without too much having to yell and scream and self-advocate. So NDIS, um, when they came to do my planning meeting and I asked them to come here, they just said, oh, okay, and made an appointment, Mm. (laughs) which was a lovely surprise because I had been anticipating that it would be very difficult. Um, But pretty much for almost everything else, it's still really hard and it's not really working. And I think a big, there's a lot of things that could be done, what I call low-hanging fruit, things that could be done quite easily um, and changed quite quickly 
if there was any political will. But because politicians and other people who make the rules just aren't even aware this is an issue, there's just... There's no um, there's no will to make those small changes that yeah. would have a, make a big difference. And it's it's a bit of a bar, it's a real bind, isn't it? Because for change to happen, it often that advocacy and and kind of being able to have a voice and and to be heard is really needed. But it's really difficult, mm. like to do that for people who are homebound, bedridden. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why I got frustrated enough to mm. write the report because I've been telling advocates about this issue and asking them to take it up as a systemic advocacy issue for 20 years. Mm. And just no one has. And I think a lot of that reason is that I can't join the advocacy organisations and turn up at the meetings where they're deciding what to work on. Yeah. Uh, So I can't get people to do. But there has been a lot of really positive um, feedback that I've got since I I wrote the report. So Mm. I think it was definitely worth the, the enormous effort yeah, great. So, in the report, you kind of mention a whole bunch of recommendations that that you know you think that need to happen. Can you talk a little bit about more about that around what we need to do to improve the situation? Um, the biggest and first thing, really, is to make sure that everybody who needs home visits by a GP has access to those. Because mm-hmm. being able to see a GP is really the key to being able to see. You need to see a GP to get a referral to a specialist, for example. You need to see a GP um, just for the basic maintenance of your conditions and for for scripts and things. So not having access to a GP is kind of the biggest biggest problem. And that could be quite easily solved um, in most cases. Um, the Royal Australian College of GPs does not require that GPs provide home visits for um, for their patients who need home visits. For example, that would be that would be a change. Medicare could offer a proper rebate for home visits. At the moment, a doctor gets paid twenty dollars more to go to a nursing home and see one patient mm. compared to going to a private home and seeing one patient. There's no reason for that. Yeah, wow. And because there's not a lot of people really who are bedridden as a as a percentage of the population. It's, it's a fairly small group. Honestly, we don't know how large the group is because mm. no one has ever researched it. Yeah, yeah. But you you could just assume it's it's going to be a very small percentage of the population. So, providing appropriate Medicare rebates for home visits to homebound and bedridden people would not really cost the government a lot. One can only assume. What do you think that's about in terms of why wouldn't why aren't simple steps being taken? I think that most of the people who are making these rules just have no concept that mm. there really are people who are permanently homebound and bedridden who are living in the community. Um, when I collected quotes from other people who are homebound and bedridden to go in the report, several people told me that they had rung their GPs to try and ask for home visits. And when that was denied, they sort of said to the to the GP or to the receptionist who they were talking to, what do you expect me to do? And several of them were literally told to, that they should be living in aged care just so they would have access to a GP. That's, yeah, well. that's so ridiculous. I just need interpretive dance to mm. explain how ridiculous it is. Um, it's, I, I really think that the bank counters have no concept that people like me live in the community and need to be supported. 
Yeah. Because it's so far off the so far off off people's agendas. Um, yeah. Because they just don't even realise it's an issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 you know, like you're talking about the GP. The GP is so integral integral in terms of people's care, just around coordinating things and getting other services involved that need to be kind of involved. Yeah. Definitely. If you mm. if you need a home visiting nursing service, for example, that has to be organised by the GP. Or referrals to specialists and stuff, yeah. Or referral to a specialist or a referral to a hospital for yeah. outpatient services or everything requires a GP as a foundational thing. And I never thought about the fact that it's actually around kind of, you know, activist movements as well, that it's the issue is kind of invisible there, like you were just saying before. I certainly find that the most depressing. Mm. It, I sort of feel like if, if disabilities groups, who are the people that I know that care about activism the most, if they don't even understand that, that this is an issue, then what hope do I have to get awareness in yeah. politicians or journalists or public servants? Yeah. So hopefully by making this report, people have something to point at to yeah. go, this is an issue, here's... Here's some written evidence, yeah, yeah. and that will help. That will help the situation a bit. Mm. What What has been the um, response, or you know, what has been the feedback to the report? I've got lots of wonderful feedback mm. from disability advocates, advocates, and from other people who are homebound and bedridden. Yeah. Um, especially because they've never had anything before. Um, to that talks about their issues. So even though it doesn't actually solve any problems to have a report, I I really got some fantastic feedback from homebound and bedridden people who are just so grateful that someone's done something, no matter how small. Yeah. Which again tells you how completely isolated and left behind this group is. Um, I have had some responses from politicians. Most of the responses, because I pretty much sent it to every politician state territory, federal level <laughs> that I could think of that had anything to do with either medicine or disability. Um, so that's, that was a lot of them. So most of the letters that I got back were just saying, no, this is not my area. Go talk to someone else. Yeah. Um, and in several cases, the someone else who I was told to go and talk to was another person who had also sent me a letter that said, go talk to someone else. Uh, so they're definitely very good at explaining why everything is not their issue. Yeah. Um, I did get a few substantive replies, um, but unfortunately, the effort of putting the report together really, really damaged my own health and my disability mm -hmm. has got substantially worse since I did it. Um, so I really am having a huge struggle being able to follow up with mm -hmm. um, the the substantive replies that I did get from politicians and especially from Jill Hennessy, who's the health minister here in Victoria. Um, and um, I'm still working to get to send back a reply to her reply because unfortunately she recommended several programs to me and almost all of them don't actually help homebound and bedridden people. Yeah. Um, so I feel like it's really important to write back and say, no, no, this is still a big issue. Here's why the things he suggested aren't helpful. Yeah. Um, and there are a couple of other homebound and bedridden people who are helping me with putting together a response to that. Great. 
Right. Um, but unfortunately, because we're all very seriously ill, one of those things that's taking a long time. And, and I'd imagine social media would be important in, in finding people that are in situations like yourself, right? Social media is fantastic. Mm. Um, but of course, I can only find homebound and bedridden people on social media when they are people who are well enough to be able to use a mobile yeah, phone to, to type on social media. So mm. people with a significant intellectual impairment from their disability, of course, are not represented on social media. Mm. People who are too sick to hold a phone or to type are not represented. People who are too cognitive, too cognitively impaired or whose sensory sensitivities are too much to use a phone just aren't there. And I don't have any way of getting in touch with them because, of course, being that there's no organisation, there's no group, that, there's no list anywhere yeah. of who is veteran and homebound, which is really sad because I would have loved to have included a much wider range of people in the report. Mm. Um, I've got stories from 13 or 14 uh, people there and all but one of those was a person who can independently access social media. I did have one um, set of quotes from the carer of a person who's not um, able to independently access social media, but that was all. And I would have loved to have had a wider net, but it was just beyond my beyond my ability. So hopefully in the future, somebody will be able to put together an organisation or something that does some outreach to the people that just can't access social media themselves. Mm, yeah. Listening to you and and kind of hearing that, you know, it's it's... It's been really hard to kind of advocate and get this out there. Like, what's kept you going in terms of, um, you know, putting together reports and, and keep on trying to, to kind of make this visible? It's my life. Yeah. <laughs> this is, you know, I'm fighting for access for everyone, but yeah. I, I am a member of the everyone. Mm. The thing that made me, the thing that made me the most angry, the, that, that I sufficiently angry after 20 years that I started the report mm. was, some funding came through to get ankle braces for me. Um, and the organisation that was given the funding um, just said to me, oh, no, we don't do home visits. So even though the application was made, the f I went through the whole waiting list process, the funding, was, the funding finally arrived after several years on the waiting list. Mm -hmm. And then I was just told, no, no, we don't do this. Uh, it was too difficult. They just kept telling me, wait till you feel better and then come in. And I kept trying to explain that that wasn't going to happen. And because the person that I was talking to just didn't understand that it was possible that I could live in the community and be bedridden. And so I made a post on Facebook. Yeah. You know, this is terrible. I'm so frustrated. And on Facebook, I have lots of Facebook friends who are also homebound and bedridden because... Yeah. We stick together. It's a pretty unusual existence and yeah. it's nice to have friends who understand what you're going through. Mm. And so I got all these other people who were saying, oh, yes, this has happened to me too. And somehow that tipped me over from thinking I really should write a report which had been in my head for about five years mm. to starting to write. And once I started writing, it just it was like I'd written the whole report in my head 50 times. Yes. <laughs> it started pouring out. Mm. And it was actually, it was easier to write than I thought. Um, it took three months, but I had, I thought it would take six months or a year. But there was so much pent up frustration and yeah, yeah. anger and, and so many stories inside me. 
And of course, once I posted on Facebook that I was looking for people's stories, then I started to get people sending me these terrible, terrible messages mm. of, I mean, not terrible messages, but messages about the terrible things that had happened to them where they hadn't been able to go to the doctor or they hadn't been able to see the specialist or they hadn't been they hadn't been able to get the tests they need and all mm-hmm. of the awful things that had happened to them because of that. Um, yeah. I think that was the hardest part of the whole report really was reading these reading these stories over and over and I couldn't help anyone except mm-hmm. by writing the report. But I couldn't I couldn't fix anything directly and I wish I could. Because it's terrible. No one should be not able to access basic medical care. Um, I was kind of horrified to read in the report that um, it says nearly a third of the people quoted in the full version of the document stated that they had requested anonymity because they were afraid of medical retribution for speaking out. So can you describe what that's about in some ways for people? Medical people have an enormous amount of power. I mean, it's always true for anyone, but for most people, if you make your doctor angry with you, you can go find another doctor. It might be a little bit annoying or it might be hard to find a doctor whose practice is wheelchair accessible or whatever it is that you need. Mm. But for most people, there is at least the option there of of changing providers if you make your doctor angry at you. But because of because GPs don't like doing home visits, if you do have a GP that does home visits, they are like solid gold. And pretty much everyone who's homebound and bedroom realises that if they lose their GP, they can't find another one. Um, I haven't been able to find a single provider um, that I know of mm-hmm. who will take on new, bed- new bedridden patients. If you are already the patient of a GP and you become bedridden, there is some... Um, encouragement for that person to keep looking after you um but even my own gp who does come down and do home visits for me um i found that gp because i was lucky to have a period where my health was a little bit better and i could go visit her in my wheelchair and then now she feels obliged to keep treating me which is Mm. good for me but it means that if i make that person angry at me if i upset them or for any reason they want to stop treating me I then have no medical access at all. It, of course, it shouldn't be that way. But it means that you become very fearful and very um, nervous about doing anything that might rock the boat. Last time my GP was down here doing a home visit, I literally burst into tears because I was so afraid. She wanted me to do something that I physically couldn't do. Um, but it was so frightening for me just to tell her, no, I can't do that. That would... That would not be a good idea that would make me worse um so you've you've talked about just how invisible kind of i guess your life is in terms of kind of the system and and kind of um to everybody what's the biggest thing that you want people to know Hmm. i think the biggest thing that i want people to know is that there are a lot of things that you can do to include homebound and bedridden people Mm. even when they can't be there um, there's an article that I wrote on the old ABC ramp up site. This is an article from 2013, so it's a little bit out of date technologically, but the headline of the article is a guide to better access, um, which is unfortunately generic, but it's about how to include bedridden and homebound people in physical real life events. 
Um, and of course, that doesn't mean that you make it possible for them to physically be there because that's not something we can do. But things like live streaming, things like having a hashtag on Twitter so that mm. people can follow along when people are tweeting about your event, things like providing recordings or notes from speakers, just the things that you can do to make people to make people feel included to the greatest extent possible. And it is starting to slide into the awareness of disability activists, which is fantastic. Mm. Um, last week I was reading a checklist that was published about making, um, making activism accessible. It's called the Accessible Activism Checklist, um, which was curated by Diane Murray. Um, and if you look at that online, there's a section about how to um, include people who can't be there, which is fantastic. Yeah, it was. It just made me so happy to read that um, because it's such an uncommon thing. Mm. Uh, but it is getting a little bit better, which is really mm. hopeful. Yeah. Um, and you thank heavens we have the internet because I can. I can yell about this stuff. I can tell people about my report. I can see the photographs of my nephews, but I can't go and visit. It's a lot less isolating than it used to be, Yeah. as long as you have the ability to use the internet, which thankfully I do. Um, just finally, where can people find the report to read? Um, and just anything else that people can do to show their support? So the report is available on my website. If you look for... Um, if you search for Just Invisible Report, I think you'll probably find it. The URL for the website is notdoneliving.net and there's a link from the front page there. That's my website. Mm. Um, and, yeah, just have a read of the, of the resources that I've referenced here. Um, or you can look me up on Twitter. My Twitter ID is Jeshia, J-E-S. H-Y-R. And if people have any comments or questions about people who are bedridden or homebound or about medical care and access, I'd be very, very happy to chat with you there. That was Ricky Buchanan talking about her report, Just Invisible, Medical Access Issues for Homebound Bedridden Persons. You've been listening to a special edition of Chronically Chilled as we mark International Day of People with Disability. You can hear the rest of 3CR's broadcast celebrating the day via the 3CR website, which is 3cr.org.au. You can also check out all of Chronically Chilled's episodes via the website, or you can also find us on iTunes. Thank you for listening.